welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono, and I am delighted that today Tiny Voice is talking to Grandad Wheels. Now, I came across Grandad Wheels on Twitter, as I do all good people, and Grandad Wheels himself, Brian Alam, Abram, sorry, is with me. So, welcome, Brian. Good morning. How are you today? I'm okay. A bit snowy up in Halifax today. Yes. Lots of snowballs, maybe, or not. Oh, I don't know. It's too windy to go outside. I'll, in my wheelchair, I'll probably get blown away, to be honest. True enough. So for anyone that hasn't come across you, who is Brian Abram? Well, who is Brian Abram and who is Grandad Wheels? Okay. Indeed. I am 64 years old, retired, live in Halifax. And eight years ago, I became a full-time wheelchair user, a paraplegic uh, and I have gradually reinvented myself as a children's author, something I never even thought I would do. Um, but that has happened to me. I'll, I'll go into detail why in a moment, maybe. Um, and I've written six stories for children, four of which I've turned into actual picture books, which I think some of those you've got with you. So that's what I do. I, I write books. I sell them myself through my own website. And I do lots of school visits, either in person or virtually over Zoom, so I can go anywhere in the country. Um, yeah. And I do have the books sitting beside me and I absolutely love them. Good. But I want to step back in time with you because I sort of want to understand you. You mentioned the word reinvention mm. and you've mentioned what happened eight years ago. Yeah. So for our listeners, what did happen eight years ago? How did you go from, you know, being quite an active person to being paraplegic? Right. Okay. Well, eight years ago takes us back to me being 56. Um, mm -hmm. Prior to that, I, I had a good career in, in financial services, and I left my full-time career at the young age of 52, started to work for myself um, in leadership training, mentoring, etc., public speaking, and I was doing fine, but had quite a bit of time in my hands because I wasn't working full-time, and tried to get a little bit fit. Classic mammal, middle-aged man in Lycra, used to go out on my bike, very hilly in Halifax, so Whichever way I turned out of the drive of my house, I ended up going up or down a hill. Um, so trying to get fit. And a friend of mine was also thinking of retiring. And the two of us have had a few adventures in the past. And we hatched this crazy plan that we were going to cycle down to the south of Spain. Um, wow. Yeah, nothing too athletic. We were basically going to pack a change of clothes and a credit card each and uh, and have a life of luxury. Um as we, as we stayed in nice places on the way. But that was the plan. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I thought I need to get a little bit more fit to be able to do such a, a, a challenging thing. Uh, and so I thought I'd better do a bit of training. And mm -hmm. eight years ago, 4th of August 2013, um, we'd stayed with some friends in a little village in Derbyshire, about 30 miles away from where I live in Halifax, at a night out. And I took my bike with me on the back of the car thinking, great opportunity on a lovely August Sunday morning to cycle home again to Halifax. Um, so I did, said goodbye to uh, my wife. She drove off, said goodbye to my friends and set off on the 30-mile trip back home. Um, yeah. So all very pleasant so far. Beautiful, warm, sunny Sunday evening, uh, Sunday morning. Um 
I got exactly one mile down the road before it all went um, pear-shaped. Um, and I had an accident that was pretty horrendous. Um, I wasn't hit by a car, but mm. I was I was bullied by a car. I think that's the right word. Oh my um, I felt anybody who's been out on a bike a lot will know this feeling very well of a car that's just too close to you mm. uh, and makes you feel pressured. Um, and I sort of moved into the side of the road because it was quite clear he wanted to get past me and was going to get past me. But my bad luck kicked in and, and I skidded on some gravel at the side of the road. I then got doubly unlucky in that the the dry stone wall at the side of me, instead of being a nice four foot high wall that might have just scraped my leg and brought mm. me down, it, it was actually only a couple of feet high. So what happened was my bike basically pivoted over the wall, if you can imagine that. Yeah. Um, my second piece of bad luck was that instead of landing in a nice cow pat or something, um, there was a very steep embankment, which I went flying down um, backwards, parted company oh, with goodness. the bike. And then another little bit of bad luck, I hit a tree um, full on backwards um, with an almighty thud that hurt. And then... The next bit of bad luck was I dropped vertically into a fast-flowing river. Uh, oh, my gosh. I know, it's good, this, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, great. my goodness. Like, yeah. A, yeah. It's, how horrific. It was a bit, yeah. Um, now, when I, I was – a little bit of good luck now. It was August, and the river wasn't a torrent. It was, it was fast-flowing, but it wasn't too deep. So although I was lying face down in it, um, it was only probably six inches or so deep. Um, I felt my leg and immediately knew that I couldn't feel anything, which obviously I, I, I kind of instinctively knew wasn't good. But mm. um, I, have you heard that thing that people talk about where in in a crisis somebody gets superhuman strength? You know, the story is is often told of the, yeah. the lady who lifts a car off a, a baby or something. Um, I think I had one of those moments because I somehow managed to get my face out of the water and, and roll onto my side. Mm. Um, but I knew that I was pretty badly injured. Um, and I tried to shout for help, but I was just whimpering really. And it was a quiet Sunday morning. So I've got to confess in my mind, I thought, mm, that's it now. Nobody's going to, going to find me. Um, I now know, I didn't know this at the time, but I now know that Whilst I thought I was keeping my head out of the water, I wasn't actually. I, I'd passed out. Um, but somebody had spotted me walking the dog and waded into the uh, into the stream and held my mm. head out of the water whilst some other people raised the alarm. Um, a combination of mountain rescue and the fire brigade, I think, got me out of the water. Obviously, they knew yeah. – they probably guessed I got a spinal injury, so you can imagine they weren't just able to drag me out. They have to do it very, very, very carefully. Mm. Um, I guess if I was in an open area, they might have got the air ambulance, but it was a steep wooded valley. Gosh. So somehow they got me into an ambulance and got me to Manchester Royal Infirmary, uh, whereupon they stuck me into a coma for uh, quite a while. I don't exactly mm. know how long. It was certainly certainly a couple of weeks or three weeks maybe. Um and I survived. I have not got a clue how I survived because if I was to read you the list of the injuries that I had, it, we, we'd be mm. here all day. 
but you know every every rib was broken on the right on the left hand side i actually had a tear in my aorta which should have killed me but didn't gosh um my spine was fractured in a number of places mainly in the thoracic vertebrae which is just above the belly button and it was completely severed there so that led to to permanent paralysis so that that phrase you hear he was paralyzed from the waist down well that, that's me so um never ever going to have a chance of of regaining that um but as i said i'm i had so many things wrong with me that i i really 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 do not know how they kept me going but they did um can you stomach any more of this or have you had enough now <laughs> i just I, i'm sitting here somewhat dumbstruck because actually what you went through was just so immense and completely and utterly life-changing in a split second well luckily it and, was it was not life-ending i mean that that, yeah, that was an and, absolute and I, miracle and that's what i'm getting from it and what i'm trying to so your books are just for anyone that hasn't read them yet you must they are just joy-filled and i think to go from what happened to you on the 4th of August 2013 to where you are sharing so much joy with everyone about life in a wheelchair, that's pretty spectacular. Well, yeah, but of course that sort of thing doesn't happen overnight because um, I had a long time to to get used to this idea. When I, mm. when I, uh, w- I was moved out of intensive care in Manchester to Salford Royal Infirmary where I was in the ICU and then the the high dependency unit for quite a while. Mm. Um, I had to have a tracheostomy so I couldn't speak or anything, you know, where they put the tube into your throat Um, and trying to communicate by writing on a board and things, which didn't really work. Uh, Mm. I had no idea what was going on all of this time from when I had the accident to when I started to slowly, slowly regain some kind of understanding of the world around me was probably about six weeks then I, I got transferred to Pinderfield's spinal unit near Wakefield in Yorkshire. Um, there are a number of spinal units around the UK. You'll have heard of Stoke Mandeville. Everybody has. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the main one, isn't it? But there are a number around the country. And you are then in an environment where you're surrounded by other people who've got similar issues to you, some better, some worse. You know, some some people might be tetraplegic and literally arms and legs not working and having to be fed and Mm -hmm. they gradually improve you're there you work try and do rehab and try and improve learn how to sit in a wheelchair what to do in a wheelchair i was in hospital altogether for two weeks short of a year wow so plenty of time to kind of get used to to what was happening to me um and just a a big word in favor of of spinal units Sometimes paraplegics like myself, we see other people in wheelchairs and we think, mm, why are you being pushed around? Why aren't you doing more for yourself? Um, I'm not saying we're judgmental, but we notice that. when you, If you have a spinal injury and you go through a spinal rehab unit, my mm. goodness, you've got, to get, you've got to learn to look after yourself because they're not going to push you around in there if you don't do it for yourself. You know? yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a boot camp, but it's a, it's a very good – um, form of rehabilitation because you've just got to get on with it um, because there's always somebody in the next bed who's worse off than you. So I gradually got used to the idea. Um, 
eventually came home, as I say, a year later. I had to come home to a house that I'd never seen before. That's a weird wow. one, isn't it? Because there was no way I could move back into my previous house because it, it would have been totally and utterly unsuitable. Mm. Um, but luckily, we found a bungalow for sale and we managed to get it and, and gut it and redo it so that it was suitable for me in a wheelchair. My wife did all of this on her own. While, yeah, uh, I just while I, I wanted hospital. to say, you know, you I can't imagine how hard this was all must have all been for your wife because you know the last time she saw you was in Derbyshire, you were off cycling yep. to Halifax, yep. and then the next thing she knows, you're in hospital. Well, she got that phone call. Can you get to the oh, hospital quick? And gosh. you know, can imagine what she thought. And my two daughters as well. Yeah, yeah. Tough, very, very tough indeed. And actually, where you are in hospital, being rehabilitated. She's actually having to manage the externals of, okay, you know, how do we actually, you know, housing situation? How do I sort this? How do I sort that? You know. And it it didn't, it didn't, I didn't think about it at the time because Mm. I was, I was too selfish in it all, I suppose. But, you know, there were times when she would leave me at the end of a a visit, the long, lonely drive back to Halifax, and she'd Mm. leave me laughing and joking with the nurses. (laughs) And it was actually harder for her, much harder for her um to to be on her own and of course the other thing is the partner of somebody who gets a spinal injury did not ask for any of this they didn't ask uh they, they didn't want to move house they didn't want you to suddenly have to stop working and and be around the house all day in our case um we were very lucky we we had, we had a beautiful home in spain as well as in england mm. that immediately had to be sold because mm. there was no way I could ever get to it again. Um, so on a material level and an emotional level, the partner and the family families of people with spinal injuries do have to give up an awful lot mm. instantly, and you don't get a lot of time to get used to it, unfortunately. No. So, yeah, so, it's, so it was tough. But I came home, and um, gradually life started to get better. Now, my grandson, Charles... Mm. was only six months old when this happened to me. Um, so I only, I only literally got, uh, got six months with him in a, in a normal setting, if you like, mm-hmm. um, where I could bounce him on my knee and that sort of thing. And, and he's the only grandson. Um, and then, you know, the next thing I'm seeing my growing grandson visiting me in hospital and um, getting to know all the nurses and they fell in love with him. And, and yeah. you know, he had about 50 aunties then that uh, looked forward to the, to the visits and he looked forward to coming. And then I came home and, and things were okay. We, you know, he was tiny, but I always knew that there was going to be a day when he'd look at me and say, granddad, you know, why aren't you the same as everybody else? Why does yeah. my granddad not play football? Why does my granddad have to sit in a wheelchair all day? And you and talk that, about that in your first book. That's which, where the idea yeah. came from. Yeah, because I, I, you know, the idea it. of me writing books, I was just a million miles away from what I ever thought I might do. But I thought, well, when he asked me that question, what am I going to tell him? I could just tell him what happened, but no, no, I know. I'll tell him I was attacked by a lion in the jungle, um, and that's what happened. That's how I got injured. You know, I was fighting this big grizzly lion, and and I, my wife said that's. Typical you, that is, coming up with a load of nonsense. Mm. Um, it's, But it's quite funny. Why don't you say a bit more about it? So I, and I ended up turning it into a story where 
I tell him this, Granny, my wife, says, stop that, tell him what really happened. So I do. And he thinks my poor old granddad must be pretty bored with that. So he thinks he'll stop me being bored by taking me to the park and shoving me into the skateboard park. <laughs> and that's that's where the first adventure starts. So that's why I wrote it, and, and that's what turned into the first story. And as I, as I said to you before we started recording, I laughed out loud Good. reading that. It is Great. so funny because, you know, the idea of you being held at the top of this skate park ramp and then let go and then, you know, doing all these flips. Yeah, with me no and... idea what's going on. That's, that, yeah, I think that, in, that was the best bit. The theme of all of the, th- the books is I've got no idea what's going on and this cheeky grandson gets me into all sorts of mischief and I'm the innocent, silly granddad in all of this. Oh, but the innocent silly granddad who at the end of each book has had the time of his life doing, yeah. you know, and, and definitely embraced a new adventure. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, you know, when, when I read through the, the, the second book about the, you know, the supermarket, yeah. the idea that, that, you know, brilliant fire, for anyone that hasn't read it, fire extinguisher, wheelchair, completely demolished a supermarket, loved it, <laughs> you know, but it is, it's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I love the character of your wife. I mean, she she is firm but fair, it's got to be said. And when you deposited her in the freezer section oh, yeah. of the With supermarket. The yes, the frozen chips. Oh, I now, just, look, I've got a problem here, Toria. I've got a problem what? because I, I always, when I go into schools, I always introduce mm. the characters before I read a story. And mm. I introduce her as my wife, Granny, very glamorous, but very, very grumpy. <laughs> Probably because of all the, the mischief I get into. So all the kids now know that she is Grumpy Granny. Now, next Thursday, mm. I'm going back into Parkland School in Leeds. Oh, brilliant. And Granny's coming with me because I'm going to do Ooh. a reading of my Christmas story that came out last week. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to stand in front of an entire school and say, now, everybody, you remember I've talked about Happy Granny – and they'll all go, no, it's grumpy no. granny. And, <laughs> and she Now, she knows about this. She's going to play along with it like a pantomime villain, but uh, we're going to have a bit of fun with that, I think. Oh, I love that. So is she quite stern with you? Because you did tell me before oh, yeah. recording that actually, you know, you can create carnage, such as this afternoon when you are going to be baking with Charlie. <clears throat> is yep. she quite firm? Uh Yes. Uh, she has to be. Um, I mean, I'll give you a good example. She will hide chocolate on the top shelf of the fridge so I can't get it. You know? <laughs> now, that's fair enough. That's that's her looking after her chocolate. She deprives me of it in a very evil way, but that's fine. I can live with that. But, of course, I've got one of those grabbers that you use to pick up litter. So I, when she's not around, I can try and get the chocolate <gasps> using my grabber. Now, the other week, I tried to get a jar of pickled onions down with the grabber. Oh. Yeah. So broken glass, pickles rolling around the kitchen, and it smelt of vinegar for two weeks. So it's not surprising (laughs) that, you know, she has to be firm with me because I do cause a lot of mischief. Oh, I like that though. That that's yes, that that amuses me. So actually the characters that we're seeing in the book are really, <clears throat> you know, true to form. Um, although, to a degree, yeah. Yeah. Although the adventures may not have happened, the mischief oh, no. is still there. There is that so, thing, isn't it? Any any similar any similarity to a person living or whatever mm. is purely coincidental. Well, yeah, it is a bit. <laughs> 
So I just want to touch on school visits. So you mentioned that you're going into Parklands again. Tell me about school visits, because I know that many of the people listening be like, oh my goodness, how do, how do I get, you know, how do I get Brian in? Okay, well, let me, <clears throat> excuse me, let me just rewind a little bit, because you need to mm. understand where we, how we got to that point. Yeah. After okay. we finished, after I finished the first story, it was obvious that it needed bringing to life. And I can't draw. I mean, I can't even draw a stick man, to be quite honest. So I tried to find somebody to illustrate them. I had three false starts, people who said, oh, I'd love to get involved in that. And then when I showed them how many illustrations I needed, they very quickly um, lost interest in it, Um, especially as I wasn't going to pay them. Um, So I almost gave up, and I, I probably wasted a whole year trying to find somebody to illustrate them. Then somebody said, well, why don't you write to local art groups? Usually, you know, there are lots of enthusiastic amateurs who might want to have a go. So I did. I wrote to the Halifax Art Society. Uh, and a lady called Lynn Hicken got back to me and said, I'd like to have a go, but I've never done cartoons before. Mm. So I looked at some of her work. I mean, she's an incredible artist. She does oil paintings, just um, acrylic. She's brilliant. And she did a couple of sketches, and I thought, wow, they're actually quite good. But they were too lifelike. So I met with her and said, look, this this character is going to be whizzing around a skateboard park. He might be doing all sorts of things that a real person might not really be able to do. So I need you to dial up the cartoon element of it. And so we went through a number of iterations until we got what you see in in the books now. So we illustrated the first one, sent it away to every publisher under the sun, got lots of lovely polite letters saying, very nice, but not for us, thanks. Uh, I dare say if I was a celebrity, I'd have been picked up on, but... That doesn't happen to ordinary people, does it? Um, oh, I sounded bitter there, didn't I? I apologise for that. Uh, um, anyway, we we thought, oh, to hell with it. Let's do it ourselves. Uh, I've got mm. a friend who runs a printing business, and he got involved to help us design it. And we put some money into it, and we did it ourselves. And then we launched it, and a few people bought it. And we then thought, well, what are we going to do with the money if we make any money at all? And we said, well, let's just give it to charity. We thought maybe maybe if it all went brilliantly, we might have a couple of hundred quid that we could give to charity. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. And then another stroke of luck. See, I had lots of bad luck at the start, didn't I? But now I'm starting to get a little bit of good luck. And a firm called Irwin Mitchell, a big law firm, Mm. Um, got involved and they said, you know what, we'd like to sponsor you. So we will cover wow. all of your production costs. So all the printing is covered. And that meant that whenever we sold a book, if we sold a book for £6.99, it meant that I had £6.99 that I could give to charity. Wow. So that was all good news. It meant we could afford to print more books, do a bit of pub- publicity, etc. cetera. Mm. Then we had a launch party. And I got so lucky because a very nice head teacher called Chris Dyson, uh, that some people might have heard of, from Parklands at Leeds, he was at that launch party with a a friend of his, Max Kelly from the Isle of Man, Mm another head teacher. And they listened to me read a story and they said hello to me and they said, right, we'll we'll have 60 books, please. Wow, amazing. I couldn't believe it. Um, And so then they said, you need to come to our school and meet the kids. Uh, so I did that, never done it before, but I read one of the stories. I came up with some questions I could ask the kids that, to engage them with the whole thing of using a wheelchair and disability, et cetera. 
and I turned it into a session that I could then replicate in other schools because it seemed to go down quite well at Parklands. Uh, mm. So I started doing that, and now I am probably averaging one or two school visits a week. Um, amazing. Within a 90-mile drive of Halifax. Sorry, 90-minute drive of Halifax. Mm. I've set that limit because I am disabled. I am in a wheelchair, and, and going more than an hour-and-a-half drive is probably not that practical to, to then do a, a day in the school as well. So I do that. So I'll go from Halifax to Liverpool and that sort of place. But I can go anywhere in the country using Zoom, of course, or, or Teams. Of course. Um, I did one in Essex a couple of weeks ago. I've done the Isle of Man by Zoom, so I can do that as well. So, yeah, so that's that's now what I do. And obviously we published a second book a year after the first one, and then we did another one in September. And I've just launched a Christmas one last week. So we got four books in print now. It's just amazing. It really is. And as I touched, you know, as I've touched on a number of times, it's the joy that you, these books bring, you know, and I think what you're doing is breaking stereotypes and creating a really positive image about actually, as you say, you know, people in wheelchairs are just the same as everyone else. And that's, I know, is what you promote when you go into the, into the school visits. Absolutely. And, and, Kids just, I don't know, kids with disability, look, looking at disability, they're not judgmental. They, they mm. ask questions out, out of genuine, innocent curiosity. Uh, I always have a question and answer session where they can ask me absolutely anything they want, and I'll give them a, a, a an honest answer to it. Um, and they, they ask all sorts of questions. And it's great because they go away understanding a hell of a lot more about what it means to be disabled, but they also yeah. see somebody who's happy and and cheeky and having fun with them, not yes. serious um, or sugarcoating anything. Um, uh, and for me, that's important. I, I couldn't do it if I had to be walking on eggshells and being very careful about things. I want to have a bit of a giggle with the kids and and have some cheekiness with them. That's because that's what they want. It's why it's why David Williams is so successful because. Mm. Gangster ga Granny is naughty. That's what it's all about. Yes, as is, well, Grandad Wheels. I mean, I've got to say, I do think it, it is Charlie's fault. He gets you into oh, a lot of is. trouble, you know. One, it, one, uh, one person recently said, and I, I'm going to be forgetful now and forget exactly who it was, but one person, pay, person paid me an amazing compliment. He said, Charlie could give just William a run for his money. I thought, wow, that's brilliant because yeah. that's what I wanted. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. He really could. Now, real life Charlie must oh, yeah. love being in these books. Well, he's getting a bit embarrassed now because he's six in the books, but he's eight in real life, going on 15. Uh, so he's, uh, he's a little – he loved it at first because, you know, we do signings together and he would sign mm. his name in the book and uh, and people would make a fuss of him, of course, because he was a cute kid. Um World Book Day was brilliant in 2000 and was it 2020, just before lockdown, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. So I went into his school for World Book Day and he went dressed as himself. Mm -hmm. So that kid on the book, on the book in the red T-shirt and the blue denim shorts, he went dressed like that. Uh, so he was the, probably the only kid in the world who went, who was able to go to World Book Day dressed as a character in a book that was him. 
And oh, I love that. I embarrassed him in front of all his schoolmates, which was great. So we, we had some fun doing that. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's very proud of me. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is proud of it. Oh, I don't doubt that he is. Absolutely. Now, for anyone that wants to get hold of the books or wants to get you into school, how can they get hold of you, Brian? What's the easiest way? I'm very easy to find. Um, Grandadwheels.com. If you stick Grandad Wheels into Google, I come out top, I think. So Grandadwheels.com. If you look at my website, um, you can read a lot more about me and the books and the characters in the books. You get to meet them. there's a page for schools where there's a very short video explaining what I do on virtual school visits. Uh, and you can contact me through that. And I've got a document I can send out that tells you everything you need to know. Um, there's a page about the two charities that I support. Um, so there's lots of information. So it's just grandadwheels.com. And of course, that's where you can buy the books. Um, and every single penny that you pay if you choose to buy any of the books, will go to two charities, the Spinal Injuries Association, who helped me enormously. They do lots of work uh, for people with spinal injuries, and a smaller charity called Backup, who I absolutely love because they do they do practical courses on how to get used to being in a wheelchair and how to negotiate things. They do a lot of work with kids in wheelchairs to show them how to get up and down curbs and all that sort of thing. So that's good, and... I'm quite excited at the minute because I set myself a little target mm. by Christmas to see if we could possibly get to £20,000 donated to the charities. Yeah. And spoiler alert, I think I'm going to smash it um, <gasps> because November's been brilliant. Yeah, oh, so I'm, that's I'm amazing. Congratulations. quite excited about that. I think we'll get past the 20000 mark before Christmas, um, which will make a big difference. Mm. And it really does. And, you know, what's wonderful is that your your books are fabulous, but actually all of that money is going to such a great, well, two great causes. So yeah, you know, it, keep- it is. That's why, we, why mm. we're doing it, really. I think we've got to the point now where that's the only reason why we're doing it. What gets me out of bed in the morning now is thinking, oh, great, I've got to go to a school. I'm going to do a session, and that's more money in the bank for the for the charities. But I will just give myself a big plug here. Mm. I don't cost a lot of money. If if you invite me into your school, if I happen to be, you know, within a 90-minute radius, you will be amazed at how little it will cost to have me there for the day doing up to four sessions with the kids, not just reading a story, but we get them doing some creative work, designing a, a crazy new wheelchair. I did a school recently where it cost £34 for the day. Are you joking? Nope. And I'll tell you exactly why. I charge a fee of £250 to come to your school. Mm. But I'll give you, within that, 36 copies of my books. So what schools do is they write to parents and say, we've got an author coming in. Would you like to buy one of his books? Mm. And if they do that, then if if all 36 go, then all that money is taken (laughs) off what the school has to pay me. Um, But, of course, that very same school actually earned over £400 for charity because they ended up getting well over 80 orders for books. So the charity wins, the school wins, the parents get nice books, and everybody's a winner in that. So I I don't know what most authors charge, but I know some charge many hundreds of pounds to do visits. 
um, mine can work out at a few pounds. And it's, you know, getting you in, as we said before, you know, it's breaking stereotypes. It's developing children's understanding about wheelchair users. And I think that's so, so vital. Yeah, it ticks so a few important. boxes, doesn't it, for, for yeah. um, in, in the curriculum. But also it's, it's about the kids seeing somebody in a wheelchair who's just having a laugh with them and having yes. fun. Absolutely. I, I absolutely guarantee if I do a school visit, the kids will be buzzing at the end of it. If they're not, I'll not only give you give the school the money back, I'll quadruple it. I don't care because I know that they'll have a great time. Yeah. Uh, you have been a joy to have on, Brian. You really have. Now, as you know, I have a final question that I ask absolutely everyone, oh, yeah. which is... If you could have been taught by anyone, living or dead, who would have been your perfect teacher? I don't think you're going to like this answer. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> I was at school in the 70s because I am 64, so I did O-levels. Do you remember that? Well, you won't remember those, but you'll have heard of them. Um, <laughs> and I was utterly, utterly hopeless at school. I, I was mm -hmm. so bad. It was frightening. I was the only kid in primary school that was guaranteed to fail the 11 plus. They all knew that I would. But I didn't. I passed it because I'm quite good at exams. So mm. I'm one of those horrible kids who did very little during the year but then passed all the exams. I think I've gone through life like that, actually. But I would have done really well if my English literature teacher had been John Cooper Clark because he was a hero in the 70s, the, the punk poet. Um, oh. And he would have inspired me far more than the boring teacher I had who, who waffled on about Shakespeare and stuff. Um, so I would have loved to have had John Cooper Clark as a teacher. And I would love to have learnt Spanish at school, but only if I could have been taught by Penelope Cruz. Oh, yes. Well, I think And most I'm afraid I might not have learnt a lot of Spanish, but I would have been a very happy schoolboy. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Well, I have to say, John Cooper Clark and Penelope Cruz sound like they would definitely be good additions to the Tiny Voice Talk School. Yeah, yeah, they'd be great. Brian, you really have been a delight to talk to. Thank you so much. And please, this afternoon, try not to create too much chaos in your kitchen. Oh, we're going to make banana bread and something else, and it's going to be absolute mayhem. Grumpy Granny will lock ourselves away and leave us to it and just hoover up afterwards. Sounds good. Enjoy. Hi, you boys. 